Hey, before we get into the message, I want to take a moment and tell you about something special happening here at Union. We are in the middle of our Limitless Initiative. As a church, we're beginning construction on our headquarters in Bowie, Maryland. This is a state-of-the-art facility that will seat 2,400 people and serve as the central hub of all things Union Church. Our vision is to launch more campuses in both the DMV and beyond, ensuring that there's a life-giving community within driving distance of as many people as possible. Hey, would you consider partnering with our Limitless Initiative? 100% of your contribution will go directly to our mission of uniting people to purpose and helping people know a God that loves them more than they can imagine. Here's what I know. God doesn't respond to our giving. God responds to our obedience. Will you spend time praying? Ask God what he would have you give and obey. And as you do, he's gonna respond with immeasurably more than you can ever ask, think, or imagine. You can give by clicking on the link in the description or going to theunionchurch.com forward slash limitless. All right, let's jump into today's message. I'm excited. Then he came to Derby and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple, somebody say disciple. Are you a Christian or are you a disciple? There's a difference. There's a difference. You could be one without the other, but you can't be the other without one. A certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region. And all the fellas said, God help me. You see, when you talk about the woman with the issue of blood bleeding for 12 years, all the women are like, you have no idea. Well, ladies, you have no idea. Grown dog on man. For they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the city, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Father God, we declare that all our life you have been faithful. God, those moments that we were running after you, God, you moved supernaturally in our lives. God, those moments we were running away from you, God, you still were moving supernaturally in our lives. And God, we say thank you. And God, we're here for one reason, to see you, to know you. So God, speak. And as you speak, we will obey. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Come on, somebody shout amen and amen and amen. We are uh, concluding a series today called Help! I'm not okay. Have you, have you, has this series been a blessing to you? Has it been a, an encouragement? Anybody realize you're a lot more jacked up than you thought you were? I'm here preaching this to y'all over the last three weeks and telling myself, wow, I thought I was better than this. I thought I was further ahead. God, continue to do your work in me. And I encourage you, if you have not been here the last few weeks, if you've missed a few Sundays, go on YouTube, catch all four messages of this series. It will truly transform your life and transform the trajectory of where God wants to take you. The whole idea or the mindset behind this series is a lot of us fall into this trap as Christians of behavior modification, where we are trying to change our actions because we figured out that punching holes in walls, yelling at people and slapping children is not the best way to maximize the call of God on our lives. We've got to figure out how to act more, not even in the way that God wants us to act, but in the way that we want to act to maximize all that God has for our lives. But as I was taking this journey a number of years ago, God began to lay on my heart, Stephen, you can't change your actions until you do change your decisions. Because your decisions, your mindset, your worldview dictates your actions. As a God, I'm ready to change my decisions. And he said, you can't change your decisions until you change the lies 
that you've believed about yourself, about others, and about the world because the lies that you believe dictate your decisions. I said, God, I'm ready to change the lies I've believed. And he said, not quite yet because you can't change the lies until you heal the wounds that are at the core of that lie. I said, God, heal me. I'm done with these wounds. And he said, you can't heal the wounds until you acknowledge the trauma. Until you're willing to say, hey, I'm not okay. I'm not blaming my dad. I'm not blaming my mom. I'm not saying, I'm just saying that hurt me. God, because that hurt me, God, I need you to heal me. And God, now that you've healed me, I need you to expose the lies that I've believed. And today, we're unpacking the final two steps. How do I change my decisions and finally change my actions? I was thinking as I was setting up this message about people that unfortunately go through a surgery of some kind. It may be something that, that is health related. It may be a car accident that took place. It may be I tore my ACL or, or whatever it may be. But oftentimes, not all surgeries, but some surgeries, after you go through the surgery, after you recover, the process has just begun. You know what I mean? If you've had an ACL surgery, if you had a rotator cup surgery, if you've, if you've had some type of issue where you were laid in a hospital bed for an extended period of time, you know after the surgery is over, after my body is healed, now it's time for physical therapy. Because what happens is during the healing process, atrophy begins to take place in my muscles. I, I don't have the same mobility that I had before the surgery. And if I do not go through physical therapy, I will never be able to function at the level of health I functioned at before I went through that healing process. So you come out of that surgery, you heal, and then it's time for physical therapy. Sometimes physical therapy is stretching. Sometimes it's massages and sometimes it's grueling, excruciatingly painful exercise where they said, hey, we've got to get muscle back in that leg. We've got to get strength back in that tendon. We, we've got to take you through a process of pain that is actually healing you. Anybody who's been through that will tell you, actually, maybe not physically, but mentally, it was more overwhelming and exhausting to go through the physical therapy of healing than it was to go through the surgery in the first place. Because I went through the surgery, they just knocked me out. Put the little thing over my face, I fell asleep, I woke up, I was in pain, but it was over. But when I had to walk, when I had to stretch, when I had to bend, when I had to move for that six-month process, I was awake the entire time. And I was angry at my physical therapist because of the pain that they were causing me. And they just kept on telling me, you're doing well, you're doing well, you're doing well. And I was like, I'm not doing well. I'm in pain right now. And, and then when I wanted to quit, they said, hey, let me tell you what happens when you quit. You'll limp for the rest of your life. You're healed with a limp. You're restored with a limp because the wound has been healed. But what happens is when you're wounded, your body overcompensates for the area that's not functioning properly at the time. And even after that area is healed, your body doesn't know it and you continue to limp even though you're whole. And if you don't go through the process of physical therapy, I'm preaching to somebody already, you'll look broken even though you're not. And we've got a lot of Christians that God has healed your heart. He's changed your mind. You're walking in the fullness of God, but you still look broken. You still talk broken. You still act broken because you haven't gone through the pain of physical therapy. So God's healed your heart and you still don't trust anybody. And, and, and here's what we don't realize. Woo! I told y'all y'all gonna like me at the end. You having fun yet? Our brokenness has been such a long part of our life, we now call it our personality. Can I have more fun? And then Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, 
and friends tells me that's my personality. I'll leave horoscopes out of this because <laughs> here's my sign. We took care of that at women's night, so watch the video. But now I'll put a label on me and just say, that's just who I am. Do, do you know that there are, are people that take pride in how sour they are? Like it's their thing. And by the way, if you're one of those people, it's really annoying. You think you're cool because you only answer in like one word or you're super stoic. And How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm annoyed because I can't hear you. Can you raise your voice? What did you say? I just, it's just me. I don't, I don't speak loud. It's not true. God gave you a vocal box and it has more decibels than you're giving me right now. No, this is just who I am. No, that's your limp. Come on, look at your name and say, I like that guy, I like that guy. Come on. Even if you really ain't feeling it right now, just. I've acknowledged I'm not okay. The Holy Spirit has healed my womb. The word of God has taken that lie and replaced it with the truth of God's word. Somebody say amen. amen. And now it's time for me to get into physical therapy so that somebody can teach me what does a man of God, what does a woman of God, what does somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit and the love of God look like as they walk, as they talk, as they interact, and as they live? How do I conduct myself as somebody who's whole, not somebody who's wounded? In Acts chapter 16, we come across a passage that's a little bit confusing. Paul comes to Timothy and he hears everybody talking about the call of God that's on Timothy's life and the anointing that Timothy has. And you've got to know we serve a generational God. The Bible says that he's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Sometimes the generation before you will pray prayers that God will answer in your generation. By the way, that's why you can't be all high and mighty and prideful and look at the life I've built. Have you really built that life or have you capitalized on prayer? of a mother and a father and a grandfather and a grandmother. Don't tell people that you did that all by yourself and don't even realize that you're walking in a harvest that you didn't sow seeds for. Come on now. So Paul came to Timothy and he said, hey, there's a call of God in your life. Your, your grandmother Lois prayed some prayers and your mama prayed some prayers. And God is not like man. He will not lie. God's going to fulfill those prayers. Timothy, God's called me to help hone you and shape you and release you into all that God has for you. But first, you got to get circumcised. Say what now? Paul said, Timothy, God has called you to the Jewish people. This is part of their custom. They know that your father is Greek and that you did not share the same custom. They will not listen to a word that you say unless you fall in line with their culture. So I've got to take you on a process where we prepare you, not for you, but for your calling. And you will never be able to maximize the call of God on your life, Timothy, unless you let me lead you into some pain that will produce a massive harvest in your life. Timothy, I was told you're not just a Christian, but you're a disciple. Can I help you out a little bit? You will never maximize the call of God on your marriage, on your kids, on your finances, on your ministry, unless you allow another human being to cut some things out of your life that are keeping you back from all that God has for you. Can, can you write this down? My desire for destiny is greater than my ego. My desire for destiny is greater than my ego. I am a golfer. Any golfers in the room? Anybody you play? Oh, come on. Now that's, 
we got to have like a union golf invitational. I ain't even, we just got to get all out there and hack up somebody's golf course. Now, let me be honest with you. I love golf. Golf just don't love me back. It's, it's a very one-sided relationship. Those of you that are wondering, I've got about a 15 handicap. So that will let you know if you're a real golfer where I am. Come play with me. You could beat me anytime. But uh, I've been playing golf for 19 years. Somebody says a long time. By the way, when you go out on a golf course, you know, they, they team you up with people you don't know. And there's this quick conversation that you have that lets you know how good they are. Because you want to know, am I going to be here all day long? Are you going to hold me back? So I say, hey, man, how long you been playing? So every time I go play golf, they, they all say, hey, how long you been playing? And I've got like a, a, a memorized answer to that question. I always say, I've been playing too long to be this bad. And they'll do that, and they're like, oh gosh, it's going to be a long day. Because I've been playing golf for 19 years, but for the first 16 to 17 years of playing golf, I never took lessons. I grew up playing sports, play football, play soccer, play basketball. I'm an athlete. You take the little stick, you hit the little white ball, you go find it. It's not that hard. So I'd go out there and, you know, I'd go on the driving range and I'd hack some balls. Yo, it, it was so bad one time. I went out on driving range. I swung my golf club. And next thing you know, I come back up. I've got a stick in my hand, but there's no club on the end of it. <laughs> Cracked my club in half. Thing went flying out into the driving range. If you've ever actually gone to not top golf, that's not real. But if you've ever gone to like a, <laughs> I'm a golfer. No, you're not. You play video games. Anyway. If you ever been out to a driving range, there's always that one loser who's like launching balls over the fence. And they feel the need to tell you what you're doing wrong. So you'll sit there and you're hitting some balls and then they'll come back and like, you might want to change your grip. It's a little too strong. I'm too strong? <laughs> no, your grip is wrong. So over 16 years, somebody would come and I'd change my grip. And every time your grip changes, your, your hand's going to be sore for weeks because you're now using muscles you've never used before. And then they would say, hey, your swing is wrong. You need to swing more in out. And I'm like, what does that mean? They'll show me how to do it. And then I'll start doing that. Then I'd be sore for another three weeks. And by the way, every time an instructor gives you a tip on a golf course, it jacks your swing up for at least six weeks until you learn the muscle memory of the new swing. So for 16 years, I would go out and somebody would tell me I'd change something and it'll hurt. And I'm like, I'm not doing this. And I'd change it back. Or they'd walk in and say, hey, you got to swing in and out, in and out. And, you know, you kind of get tired of it. So you just, you know, patronize. Go ahead, show me. And you're, I'm not even watching because I have no intention of doing what you're telling me to do. As soon as you leave, I'm going right back to the way I was doing it because it feels comfortable. Then after a while, I started watching golf on television, watching Tiger Woods and, and Rory and all these different people. And they started having these news articles of Tiger just fired his coach and hired a new coach at half a million dollars a year. Jordan Spieth just hired a new coach and is paying him two million dollars a year. And I'm like, I need to be a golf coach. I can feed my kids off of this. And then I caught this. Amateurs make people pay for coaching them. Professionals pay to be coached. Think about that for a second. The people that are best at doing it pay hundreds, even millions of dollars to have someone who cannot do what they do teach them how to do it better. You understand Tiger Woods' coach does not have 22 masters or 22 majors like Tiger does. I have somebody telling me to do something and they can't even do it themselves. And I'm paying them to coach because I want to get that much better. And an amateur, we complain. We, I don't want to talk to you no more. How dare you correct me? Why would you? Why? We make people pay. Because we have not yet decided, forget my ego. I want to be the best version of who I am. I want to maximize every corner, every inch, every hour of my life. And I'm willing to be coached up to maximize all that God has for me. When's the last time you let another believer get up in your grits? And say, listen, you're too whole to act like that. 
You're too healed to be that petty. You've been walking with God too long to be that shady. You, discipleship is the last step. Think of it as physical therapy, learning how to get rid of this limp. It is the last piece of your healing process. And hear me, it is the major missing piece in the kingdom of God. Most people, I don't want an individual to get involved in my life to know, to tell me what I'm doing wrong. I, I don't want to hear correction. Can, 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 I, can I help you out? This, this, this church book. And most people don't want to correct you. Because everybody likes to be liked. And I know that if I tell you, hey, that's not how you should speak to your wife. You're going to look at me like, who do you think you are? And I like the fact that you like me. So I'm not even going to come and tell you. I must see it. Do you know how many Christians see something and don't say nothing? Because I don't know how you're going to respond so let me just mind my business and you mind your business. So we have somebody who doesn't want to be corrected so they don't seek correction. Then we have someone who doesn't want to correct because they don't want to be rejected. And all that creates is a bunch of undiscipled Christians. And you know what I've discovered? Undiscipled Christians love to disciple other people. It's wild. They love to tell other people how to live their life. And no one has, they've never even allowed somebody else to speak into their own life. Come on now. And all I'm doing is duplicating rebellion. I won't submit to anybody, so I'm going to teach you how to not submit to anybody. Come on now. Y'all having fun? I'm having a blast. Let's read a whole chapter of the Bible. That'll make it even more fun. Here we go. Titus chapter, oh, you thought I was joking. Whole chapter. Here we go. Titus chapter two, verse one, it says this. But as for you, speak up for the right living that goes along with true Christianity. There's a way to live if you're a Christian. There's a way not to live. Your truth ain't truth. Unless your truth aligns with the truth of God's word. Teach, teach, teach the older men to be serious and unruffled. Now, I'm going to go through this slow. <laughs> just, this is not men's night, but can I talk to men just for a second? We need the joy of the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. We need the hope of God. Somebody say amen. amen. Nothing's more annoying to another man than a silly man. What, why are you a clown? What is that? Be a man. Have shoulders that can carry responsibility that a wife can follow, that kids can respect. Yeah, we're going to have joy, yeah, but we ain't going to be no goofball. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> Teach the older men to be serious and unruffled. They must be sensible, knowing and believing the truth and doing everything with love and patience. Teach the older women, uh-oh, to be quiet. Somebody's like, he's just reading the Bible. He's just reading the Bible. <laughs> and respectful in everything they do. They must not go around speaking evil of others. Must not be heavy drinkers. <laughs> Pregnant pots. Don't be proud. You can hold your liquor. That ain't godly. They must not go around speaking evil of others, not be heavy drinking, but they should be teachers of goodness. If the church doesn't disciple people, housewives will. And they'll teach you that yelling and screaming and throwing drinks in people's face is how you stand up for yourself. No, that's how you make a fool of yourself. Sorry, back to the Bible. These older women must train the younger women to live quietly. Now, I know I'm in 2023 and there's a lot of feminists and I'm going to get in trouble. That doesn't mean you don't speak. That doesn't mean you don't have a voice. That, that means you have poise. That means there's an elegance and there's a grace that I carry myself with that I will not stoop to your level because I know who I am. 
to love their husbands and their children. Should I comment or keep going? Ladies, have your business. Secure your bag. Build an amazing career, an amazing life. That is of God. Somebody say amen. Amen. But when it's all said and done, who you enjoy it with and who you leave it to will matter more to you than the bag that you secured. Don't grab one and forget the other. Sometimes you don't need to preach. Just read the Bible. And it be sensible and clean-minded. Spending their time in their homes, being kind and obedient to their husbands. Should I comment again? Comment? So you're like, watch it. Can I help you out? You got to read the whole chapter. It's easy to be obedient to him if he's serious and unrumpled and sensible, knowing and believing the truth and walks in love and patience. It's a package. Okay, let me go back to the bottom. So that the Christian faith, watch this. So that the Christian faith can't be spoken against by those who know them. So when you invite somebody to church, have they seen so much foolishness in your home that they say, I don't know what church you go to, but I want no part of that church if it created that chaos. I'm having fun. Y'all having fun? I lost my place. (laughs) In the same way, urge the young men to behave carefully Taking life seriously. And here, you yourself must be an example to them of good deeds of every kind. Let everything you do reflect your love of the truth and the fact that you are in dead earnest about the truth. Your conversation should be so sensible and logical that anyone who wants to argue will be ashamed of himself because they won't be anything to criticize anything you say. That's what the church is supposed to be. Where God is forming us into men and women of God. And then we're turning around and looking for younger men and younger women and forming and fashioning them. Not just how to pray in tongues. But how to manage my money and be a good parent and have a great marriage and build a godly career and carry myself with elegance and and with, with some honor and some stature. Some of us didn't get it from our home and we need to get it from God's house. Some of you ladies, when your mama taught you how to dress. She taught you to dress in a way that will control a weak man. And you need a woman of God to teach you how to adorn yourself and how to dress with class and elegance. I'm not saying dress like a nun. But in a way that I've got some self-respect. Some of you men, your dad didn't teach you how to talk to a woman. Taught you how to use words that will manipulate a broken woman. If this you, just look straight ahead. Got nothing to do with you. You see those men, every woman's baby girl. How you going, baby girl? How's it going, precious? That ain't your baby and that ain't your girl. By the way, when you get married, your wife will smack you. You call another woman baby girl. You need a man of God to teach you how to communicate in a way that a strong woman will want to come alongside of you and together maximize the call of God on your life. John chapter 21 verse 18 says this, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, when you were an immature Christian, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you mature in Christ, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. 
By the way, John's not talking about physical clothes. The Bible says clothing is like righteousness. It says when you're a baby Christian, you pick your standard of holiness. But when you're actually serious about maximizing your life, you let somebody else lead you and guide you, not because of what you think, but because of you need to maximize every opportunity of your life. Talked about, I think two weeks ago, how alcohol is not a sin, being drunk is a sin. Everybody got angry on all both sides. For you, it may not be. I can't drink around you. As a pastor, I can't be seen at a bar in Maryland throwing them back. I'm free in Christ. I'm not drunk. I'm just lit. It's the same thing, pastor. Why? Because of the call of God on my life. Somebody else is now telling me that my standard of holiness is different than everybody else's because people are watching and they're going to do half of my good and double my bad. And somebody else, when you decide, I want God to use me. Somebody said, I want to be used by God if that's what it looks like. And you, you know what? You know what's wild? It's wild when somebody comes and says, hey, uh, I don't think that's the best for you. And then we respond by saying, uh, I don't see it that way. Let me, let me pray about it. And I'll get back to you after I pray about it. Can I just, I'm ignorant already. Can I just be ignorant for a second? If you could hear from God, you would have changed it already. There are some things you don't need to pray about. You just need to say, your life is where I want my life to be. So I'm going to follow you as I follow, as you follow Christ. So if you say, this doesn't need to be in my life, I'm going to cut it out of my life because I want to maximize my life. Can I, y'all love God's word, right? Okay, don't, don't do it right now, but I'm going to send you home. Just read Acts chapter 15. Guess what Acts chapter 15, you may not read because I'm going to spill the, can I tell you what Acts chapter 15 was? Acts chapter 15 was one of the biggest theological arguments in the church because the Gentile Christians were arguing with the Jewish Christians, do we need to be circumcised to be Christians? And the Jewish Christians said, it's custom, you got to be circumcised. The Gentiles said, I thought it was the blood of Jesus and his blood, not mine. <laughs> I'm with the Gentiles, by the way. Anyway, so there's this big argument. They come, they bring it to Peter and all the apostles of the church. And the apostle says, no, 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 the Gentiles are right. It is by the blood of Jesus and the blood of Jesus only. We're going to write out a creed to the entire churches. We're going to set aside Paul and some other disciples. And you go from church to, don't miss this. You go from church to church to church, preaching circumcision is no longer necessary. It's only by the forgiveness and blood of Jesus. Somebody say amen. amen. Circumcision is no longer necessary. Amen. Probably the biggest offering he got in his entire life. Hey, Timothy, I would like for you to travel with me to the rest of the churches I'm going to preach to that circumcision is no longer necessary. But for you. It's necessary because we're not talking about getting into heaven or not getting into heaven. We're talking about maximizing the call of God on your life. And there's certain things that you just can't do if you're going to be the husband that you need to be, the wife that you need to be. The I don't, I don't see it that way. That's why it's called a blind spot. If you're going to maximize the call of God in your life, you're going to need somebody that can watch your blind spot. So if you've been discipled, we need you hosting connect groups and putting your arm around some younger men and putting your arm around some younger women and saying, hey, can you learn from my scars so you don't have to get by? Don't, don't be discipling somebody all high and mighty and perfect. Yeah, I ain't never made that mistake. You lie, you a lie, you a lie. We just too young to have known you when you were ratchet, but I heard, I heard. 
Remember, I was driving grandma home from church. My grandma, she's 90 years old. I was driving her home from church. She said, y'all, y'all think twerking is new? Grandma said, listen, grandma used to drop it like it's hot. That's, that's why I said, grandma? She said, listen, I, I, I wasn't home my whole life. It, it, it don't help nobody for you to pretend like you never made a mistake. You're actually stealing the glory from God of what he's done in your... I'm not saying glorify your sin. I'm just saying ain't nobody want to hear from you if you've been perfect your whole life. We know you haven't, so how about you keep it real? And then say, hey, learn from my scars, not gaining your own. All right, Sean, come out. I'm only at point number two, but we're going to land this on time. Write this down. Pure effort will always leave me short. So when somebody tells you, you can't respond to your husband that way, you can't respond to your wife that way, you need to be there for your kids or whatever it may be, can I, can I, can I help you out real quick? Just because they told you don't mean you're going to be able to do it. Because just brute force doesn't transform. Paul said this in Romans chapter 7 verse 15, for I do not understand my own actions. Yeah. You ever said that one of your kids and said, why did you hit your sister? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> Their face was just there. And... You ever looked in the mirror and said to yourself, why did I just tell that lie? It wasn't even necessary. I don't even know. Paul said, I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. I remember, my goodness, this was literally 20 years ago. I was in church, and this pastor was preaching, and and he said, does your relationship with God look like a roller coaster? Sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down. Sometimes you're passionate with God, sometimes you're not. Sometimes you feel like reading your Bible, sometimes you don't. Sometimes you feel like going to church, sometimes you don't. And I'm 16, sitting in the back of the room like, yeah, I don't get it. Sometimes I'm, I mean, I'm reading chapters of the Bible some days. Some days I can't find my Bible. And he said, that's not what your relationship with God is supposed to look like. He said, you're supposed to go from glory to glory to glory to glory. It's supposed to be this growth and this increase, not this ebb and this flow. And he said, you know what you're missing? I'm like, what? Like I was the only person in the room. He said, you're missing the Holy Spirit. He said, the Christian life without the baptism of the Holy Spirit is brute force trying to live godly. I've got, I've got bad news and I've got bad news. What do y'all want first? Bad news. Before you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it is physically impossible to live a life that's pleasing to God. Okay, you want the worst news? After you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it is physically impossible to live a life that is pleasing to God. Paul said, all the good that I want to do, I end up not doing it. All the stuff I swore I would never do, I keep on doing it. But you got to read Romans chapter 8 where he says, I realize, thanks be to God, it is the Holy Spirit inside me that wills and do. John chapter 16 verse 7, Jesus said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, then the helper, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will, watch this, convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So how do I change my actions? I get a more mature believer that I submit my life to and I say, hey, can you teach me how to walk like a man or a woman of God? How do I change my decisions? I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because without the baptism, okay, let me tell you what happened to me. So he preached this message, and I'll, I'll give you a fast-forward story. And, and they give an altar call. And you, you, ever, you ever been in the church where they lay hands on people and they, like, flop over? <laughs> Union Church is one of those churches. It's not on Sundays. We do it at Catalyst because we want to scare all the new people but come to Catalyst. We climb climbing chairs. It's wild. Anyway, 
So it was like a catalyst, but on a Sunday morning, he called altar call and all these people line up and, and, and he starts laying hands on people. He says, he says fire. Sheesh, how cool is that? Fire. And he kind of breathed on him. Fire. Some of y'all Pentecostals in the room, you're like, whoa. <laughs> Sit in your chair. Don't be falling over. We got, we got new people. So don't embarrass me today. The fire. And I mean, people dropping like dominoes. I'm just like, whoa. <laughs> and I'm on the end. And I'm like, hit me, hit me, hit me. <laughs> he was here two weeks. First week, it didn't happen. The second week, I go back up. And he lays there. He's like, fire. And I mean, I don't know what happened. I'm with my hands. Next thing I know, I'm laying on my back. I don't know how I got there. I got pins and needles going through my body. My jaw is quivering. I'm speaking an unknown language. I'm like, oh, I think I got the Holy Ghost. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, you need the Holy Ghost. Okay. Trying to get somewhere. <laughs> that was Sunday. Fast forward to Wednesday. I'm 16. If you have a 16-year-old, can I help you out? Please don't kill him. If you don't kill him, there'll be something great one day. Not in a day, but just keep him alive. So I was 16, you know, trying to figure out what it means to be a man. Me and my dad are kind of locking horns and all that. So I got into an argument with my dad. And I said something, and I stormed out of the room. And that's the day I knew my dad really loved Jesus. Because that man did not pick up a chair and fling it at the back of my head. I would have picked up a chair and fl- Roman, don't play with me. I'm not my dad. So I turn my back and I storm out of the room. And when I hit the doorway of that room, y'all, I literally thought I was having a heart attack. My entire chest began to seize up. And I'm standing, and, and, and you know how sometimes you're wondering what's happening to you? And other times you know exactly what it is. This is the backhand of the Lord. <laughs> Not the light side, the dark side. Just <laughs> and the Holy Spirit said, Stephen, you're wrong. And in that moment, I said, oh my God, I, I said, God, forgive me. And I sensed the Holy Spirit say, no. <laughs> Y'all remember, I'm a pastor's kid, all right? I know Bible. So I start arguing with God. I was an ignorant 16-year-old. I said, God, you have to forgive me because the Bible says if I confess my sins, you'll be faithful and just to forgive me of all unrighteousness. And God says, yeah, but you're not confessing your sin. I said, what you mean? He said, if you're really repenting, go back to your father. I said, no. <laughs> my chest got tighter. I'm like, oh shoot, he gonna kill me. <laughs> Y'all, I shuffled back in that room. <laughs> Mumbled out the weakest. <laughs> and as soon as I repented, I ran into conviction like a brick wall. And later I was able to connect the filling of the Holy Spirit with the sensitivity to the mind, will, and desires of God in my life. The Holy Spirit was now speaking into my decisions. Look at your neighbor and say, you need the Holy Ghost. And one of the problems is a lot of us, we don't want the baptism of the Holy Spirit in our life because we've seen a lot of foolishness. We've seen people push you over and then take a three offerings and you're like, oh, that was just a money grab. And then somebody prophesied to you and then cussed you out the next day. And you're like, well, okay, if that's the Holy Ghost, I, can, can I tell you what the Holy Ghost does? Yes, the Holy Ghost will knock you on the ground. If Jack Daniels can knock you on the ground, what do you think the Holy... You think a spirit is stronger than the Holy Spirit. You need to check the... But can I tell you what the Holy Spirit does? Makes you. Y'all missed it. That was my moment. Okay, let's try this. Y'all ready? Makes you. He's the Holy Spirit. And some of us are Christians out here doing whatever because our convictor is broken. 
what it's like to live with the Holy Spirit on board? You had to work in the middle of a meeting and the Holy Spirit said, call your wife. Hey, babe, just want to say hi. I hope you're doing well. Love you. See you soon. Oh my God, you have no idea how I need that in this moment. Wait till you get home. Holy Ghost. <laughs> Listen, the Holy Ghost be hooking up, brother. Point number three, I ain't got to preach that no more. So he's like, where do I get that Holy Ghost at? I need that. Where do I get the Holy Ghost at Union Church? A couple places, Catalyst. Main place is Freedom Conference. Everybody needs to go to Freedom Conference. This first weekend in December, December 1st, sign up for Freedom Conference. Because we don't want to just fill you up with all the junk in there already. God got to heal you and free up your heart before he gives you his power. Last thing is this. My perfection is a process. My perfection is a process. Exodus chapter 23 verse 29 says this. I will not drive them out from before you in one year. Lest the land become desolate and the beast of the field become too numerous for you. Somebody say little by little. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. I've preached this before. When doctors know that multiple surgeries are needed, they don't do them all at the same time. Because they know that your body will go into shock. So they say, we'll do the most critical first, and then we'll do the next, and then we'll do the next, and then we'll do the next. Here's what God is saying. I can't heal you of all your trauma in one year. I'm not even going to try to rebuild 36 years of damage in six months. But it's weird how Christians want to do that. I've been in church for four months. You want me to dress right, talk right, speak in tongues. Listen, okay, you are in a process. Let me go through my process. called sanctification. God says, little by little, I'm going to build you. Exodus chapter 23, verse 29 says this. I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says this. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll make sure you get some rest. Being a Christian is, do you want to go to heaven or hell? Being a disciple is, I'm tired of this. Tired of the anxiety, I'm tired of the worry. Tired of the dreams unfulfilled. Tired of loving something that's not loving me back. God says, if you're tired and weary, with your way of doing life? He said, come, come, I'll give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you. When you think yoke, don't think that thing that's whole oxen together. A yoke is what they would call a rabbi's way of life. Jesus said, take my way of life upon you and learn from me. He said, because I'm gentle. And he says, I'm not gonna look down on you. And you will find rest for your soul. He said, for my way of doing life is easy and my burden is light. I was talking to my wife about this and this phrase came out that she's like, that's God. I said, babe, sometimes people have been in a season of struggle, of discouragement, of survival, for so long that they can't see just six months of committing to this and my life will be so different from it is right now I won't even be able to recognize myself sometimes we've been in a season of pain for so many years wholeness seems like miles away As we've been talking about trauma and wound and lies, and you're like, Pastor, I'm, I'm gonna keep it 100. I've been angry so long I can't remember not being angry. 
And my hope is in a place where I can't really see much more than this. And as we close out this series, the Holy Spirit told me to tell you that he could see you this time next year. And you look so much better than you do right now. He said he could see you this time next year and the shame is gone. The worry is gone. The fear is gone. The anxiety is gone. The insecurity is gone. The brokenness is gone. The pride is gone. And replacing it is joy and peace and power and praise and elegance and honor and stature and rapport. God says, you may not be able to see you, but I see you. And it's beyond anything you could ever ask, think, or imagine. Some of you, God, Bible is saying you need to lift your head. Stop hanging your head low because of where you've been and what you've done and how difficult life. Lift your head up and you'll be able to see there's sunlight in the future. And I'm making up my mind. I'm, I'm not going to be nobody's miserable Christian. I'm going to be a disciple of the Lord, whole and full of joy and walking in a purpose. God, we're grateful. God, we're thankful that you don't just forgive, but you heal. You don't just heal, but you restore. You don't just restore, but you pour out your Holy Spirit to overflowing. You don't just pour out your Holy Spirit, but you take the lonely and you place them in families. God, starting with me, I pray for every single person in the sound of my voice. God, that you would rebuild us into who you have called us to be so that we can see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Right where you're sitting, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? And just give God a moment to make this time and make this message personal to you. For some of you, I need the Holy Spirit. My life looks like a roller coaster. I need the Holy Spirit to anchor me. For some of you, you've been a Lone Ranger Christian. You need to get in a group. You need to get around more mature believers and actually say, hey, can you watch my life and help me become more like Christ? For some of you, the Holy Spirit is saying, you need to start your journey today. Maybe if you'd be honest, you would say, Pastor, I've never let Jesus into my life. You may be a Christian and go to church every Sunday, but you know in your heart you've never let Jesus, you, you, you've never been real and transparent with God. Well, that's where your transformation, your healing journey begins. That's where you are, right where you're sitting. Can you pray this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready for all that you have for me. Thank you for dying on the cross, for shedding your blood, so that I could be forgiven, healed, made whole, and maximize my life. In this moment, I surrender. I give you all of me. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, can you celebrate for every single person?